Good morning. I could use your help. Uh, a little survey that we've been conducting, and it's called a spiritual crisis survey. Beginning in Lent, March 10th, I'm beginning a sermon series about the things in life that cause us to think differently about our faith. An event or something occurred for us that may cause you to think differently about God, your relationship with God, that caused maybe the ground underneath you to shift and you had to just alter your thinking. And so what I've done is I've put together a list of eight or nine things that I've heard people say that cause them to think differently. And I'd like you to get on there and check the top two or three that you think have been important to you, would be important to you to hear about. And then also there's an opportunity there for you to write a fill-in-the-blank as to what you think. I'll give you an example. It could be like unanswered prayer. It could be anxiety and depression. It could be your struggle to understand and to read the Bible. It could be uh, you've been hurt and now you're having to forgive someone. It could be the problem of suffering. Why is there so much suffering in the world? So what I'm going to do uh, on Monday after we get all these results in, I'm then going to pick the top five for Lent, and then we're going to create some small group materials, and we're going to get everybody in our church having a conversation about these topics. I think it's a really going to be a very exciting thing in Lent. So raise your hand if you'll do that for me. If you will, it'll be like 300, 400 people that will have taken it. It'll make it great for us. So today is the last day that I'm going to be talking about virtues, and today we're going to talk about a virtue that is forgotten, that one we can't talk about enough, and it is the virtue of perseverance. Perseverance is not giving up, it's, it's not quitting, it's, it's pressing on in spite of hardship, difficulty, suffering, and struggle. And we've been talking about all these virtues, you know, goodness, kindness, compassion, what a, a virtuous life looks like. A person of virtue is a person who has compassion, kindness, humility, and gratitude. And perseverance is a very important virtue in the midst of all these other virtues because they're the key to us to be able to develop all the other virtues. If you want to become a person of virtue, compassionate, kind, gentle, and humble, you've got to keep moving. You can't quit. You can't give up. It's a lifelong journey. I'd like to begin by referring to two passages of Scripture, one from Paul and one from Peter. And in Galatians, a beautiful little letter Paul writes these words about perseverance. He's talking about how sometimes we get tired of doing good. And sometimes we give up and we quit too soon. And he talks here about the benefit of pressing on. He says in chapter 6, verse 9 of Galatians, Let us not become weary in doing good. Anybody here ever get weary of doing the right thing? Ever get tired of doing the good thing? I know you do. We all do. And he says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. What he's saying here when he refers to the word harvest, he's referring back to something he said earlier where he talks about the fruits of the Spirit in chapter 5. The fruits of the Spirit that grow in our life are the virtues. Patience, self-control, forgiveness, love, gentleness, humility, those sorts of things. And what he's saying here in this verse, it's so important, if we don't give up, then what will happen is we will have a harvest. These virtues will begin to grow in our life. And he goes on and say, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. By all people, he generally means all people. 
Now, the second reference I would make is to this wonderful letter that Peter wrote, First and Second Peter. And by the way, in your guide, it's the wrong reference. It's Second Peter, chapter one, verses three through nine. There's an interesting word there that's used in chapter one, verse three. He uses the word godliness. Godliness. He said, everything that you need for your life and for godliness, God has given it to us. Now, I want to bracket that word godliness and explain what it means to you because for me, I have some negative associations with the word godliness. Maybe you do too. Let's clear it out of the way. You see, when I was in sixth grade, I lived around the corner from a boy named Curtis Miller, and Curtis Miller was my best friend. We did all kinds of things together. Curtis and his family was very active in a church I'd never been to. I knew they had some customs that were different from our church. One day after school, Curtis told me I could no longer come over to his house. He could no longer come over to my house, and we couldn't play together anymore because I was ungodly. He had been talking to some people at his church, and our family was an ungodly family. Now, I was confused by that. I didn't know what it meant. I just knew I couldn't play with my friend anymore. It confused me because I belonged to a family that went to church, a different church. We prayed over our meals with my family, and I was a Christian, and my faith was important to me, but I suddenly been labeled ungodly. So that word godliness sort of stuck in my mind as something negative. And when I read the Bible and I see the word godliness, I have negative association with the word. Maybe you do too. Maybe you grew up in a part of the world where faith was very narrow, very constricted, and it was a lot of hell, a lot of fire, a lot of damnation, a lot of fear. And so for me, the word godly meant to be a godly person was not something I wanted to be because I didn't think Jesus was godly. What I mean by that is haughty, stiff, unkind, and unforgiving. Now you look at that list, if that's what godliness is, it's not what Jesus is. My point is that we got to get over that definition and let's get a correct definition of what godliness means. Godliness is not all those negative things. Godliness is the exact opposite. Godliness is what Jesus looks like. So when we talk about being a godly person, it means that in our life we should become more and more like Jesus. And what is Jesus like? He's like the virtues. Jesus was the virtues. Kindness, compassion, goodness, gentleness, humility, gratitude, forgiveness, and of all things, love. So what you see in all the letters, Paul's letters, the letter that Peter wrote to his church, what we see there is there is this consistent, constant call for us as people who have chosen to follow Jesus to let go of our old life and to put on a new life, to move toward godliness, which is a good thing, which means kindness, compassion, and all those things. Now, for that to happen, it's going to require perseverance. Because we get worn down by people, we get worn down by life. We ourselves are subject to falling into the old patterns and the old. It's hard to be forgiving. It's too easy to just give up and to quit. So perseverance means not giving up. It means pressing on despite hardships. It means the willingness to endure pain. It means the willingness to endure hardship, disappointment, and failure to accomplish a goal 
Perseverance is a stubbornness, a persistent stubbornness with a purpose. Or to refer to the Gatorade ad, I love this Gatorade ad, instead of throwing in the towel, use the towel to just wipe off your sweat and to keep on going. Lots of examples in history of people who demonstrated the gift of perseverance. I just spent the last few months reading some books by Doris Kearns Goodwin. And Doris Kearns Goodwin is a terrific author, um, amazing presidential biographer. She wrote a wonderful biography, uh, biographies of Lyndon Johnson, Abraham Lincoln, some biographies of Theodore and Franklin Roosevelt. What you'll find as you read these biographies and you find out about these individuals, they did not just one day wake up and become these great leaders that did great things for our country. They were people who experienced difficult circumstances in their life, and they persevered through. Abraham Lincoln grew up desperately poor, never had a formal education. He was perhaps the most ill-prepared man to ever be elected president in a very difficult time in our nation's history. He was in an unhappy marriage. He lost a child, son who had lost a son at the age of 11, was stricken with grief and depression most of his life. But he became a great leader at a very difficult time in our country because of one single virtue, the virtue of perseverance. Same thing with Theodore Roosevelt. Same thing with Franklin Roosevelt. Theodore was born an asthmatic, a very weak body, but became a strong man and a strong leader because he just never quit. He never gave up. The same thing with Franklin Roosevelt. He had, he was, had polio, had to learn to overcome his polio, was stricken by polio. His whole life changed. In this book that Doris Kearns Goodwin writes, she writes about Eleanor Roosevelt too. Eleanor Roosevelt grew up with a, a, an alcoholic father, a distant mother, suffered from depression most of her life and feelings of self-loathing. Yet all of them were able to, to do great things for people because of perseverance. In the same breath, I would mention Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill uh, had a father who was abusive and a mother who was distant and never held him. He went away to school, and when he went away to school, Winston Churchill himself struggled greatly because he had, they think, dyslexia or maybe some kind of ADHD, and he was considered lazy and a failure. His father, when he was in school, wrote him a terrible, awful letter, basically putting him down and calling him lazy and that he was going to be no good. Throughout his whole life, Winston Churchill suffered from something he called the black dog. The black dog was his depression. He experienced political defeat after political defeat. Yet, because of his perseverance, and the perseverance of Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt, we're not wearing swastikas on our sleeves this morning if you've been watching The High Castle. Because they were able to successfully defeat the powers of darkness and evil in the world because they refuse to give up. This is a great definition, then, of pers perseverance. Spoken before the United States' involvement in the Second World War, Winston Churchill said this, never give in, never give in. Now, he said these words as they are facing the end of their way of life. Never, 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 and nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. That's perseverance. 
Now, I look at it, you, and I know you know what perseverance is. I know some of your stories. Some of you have had to persevere through difficult childhoods. Some of you have had to persevere through health issues. Some of you have had to persevere in your careers and your work. You weren't the best. You weren't the brightest. But you worked hard. You pressed. And finally, you're recognized for your effort. Some of you have had to persevere through anxiety and through depression. All over the sanctuary are testimonies and stories of perseverance and what perseverance has done for you. But we all know it's easy to give up, isn't it? Why do we give up? Let me give you a few reasons that I think are common to all of us. We give up because of pain. It just hurts. We give up because of criticism. We give up because the progress is slow. You know, sometimes it's hard to see the end in sight. And if you're like me, in terms of your progress and your growth, it's kind of up and down. Slow progress, and we just get tired and we just give up. Sometimes it's because we're comparing ourselves to others. If you really want to get discouraged, you want to quit, compare yourself to other people. Compare your family to another family. Compare your income to another individual. Living a life of comparison is a life of discouragement. You have no one to compare yourself to except the God who created and loved you. No one but God. And finally, it's just lonely. It's just lonely. There's the problem with quitting. Here's the problem with giving up. Once you learn to quit, it just becomes a habit. It's too easy. Three or four years ago when I was coaching cross country at the high school where my son was on the team, we had some really talented runners on the five, in the 5K, and invariably there would be two or three in the middle of a race who would look at their watch, their running watch, their GPS watch, and would realize they weren't going to make a good time, or maybe they were hurting and they weren't feeling well, and they would walk off the course. And I would tell them, never, ever walk off the course. I would rather you crawl across the finish on your hands and knees, puking your guts out, and finishing. I don't care what your time is because you're going to get more from finishing than learning to quit. Because once we learn to quit, it becomes a habit. Don't ever walk off the course. Friends, in this life of faith, in this life of virtues, don't walk off the course. Because quitting becomes too easy. So where do you need perseverance right now in your life? In your family, in your health, in your career, in your education? in your spiritual life. So let me recommend to you this book then. We can describe this book in so many different ways, but this is a story of perseverance. It's a story of God's perseverance with humanity and his creation. Again and again we read in the story how human beings disappoint God with their smallness and their pettiness and their hatefulness and their sinfulness. But God just continues to come again and again Great is your faithfulness, the Bible says, God's faithfulness to us. And then God demonstrated his perseverance by sending Jesus to us into the world to love us and who persevered all the way to the end in spite of criticism and shame and pain. It's also the story of human perseverance. It's the story of Joseph of Daniel and Esther and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The story of Sarah and the story of Hagar and Mary and Peter and the disciples, James and John. Let me just add this footnote. If you got kids and you got grandkids, you need to bring them to church. 
Let me tell you why. Because they need to hear stories of perseverance. They need to hear the stories of people who got knocked down and got back up and kept going and who didn't quit and who God finished his work in them because God's made a promise. He will not ever give up on anyone. And people need to hear that today because we send our kids out in the world, they're going to get chewed up and spit out by this world. And they need to know, they need to be equipped. If we want our children to be successful and victorious in life, we have to equip them we have to equip them with stories, stories of perseverance. And they need to see your story and hear your story of perseverance. Well, first and second Peter, then, you might call a crash course in perseverance. The early church Peter was writing to, several churches were experiencing hardship. Listen to these words. It's all over those two letters. They live like refugees. They're like strangers in the world. They suffer all kinds of trials. They are falsely accused, blamed for things they never did. They're subjected to brutal working conditions. They are punished for doing good. They are abused and insulted when they won't join the sin of others. They are punished for following Jesus. They're harassed and threatened by the devil himself who wants to eat them alive. They're surrounded by false teachers trying to mislead them. They are mocked by neighbors who find their faith naive and deluded. They are disappointed with God, who seems to be slow in keeping his promises. So Peter is writing to them, saying to them, don't give up. Persevere. And here is, I want to tell you, if you're struggling with anything, if you're on the edge of quitting something, if you're needing a jolt of power and strength this morning, if you're needing a little lift this morning to get you up and get you out of bed to get you to work on Monday morning, here it is. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, one of the most encouraging things you'd ever read. Peter writes, by his divine power, the Lord has given us everything that we need. For life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own glory and honor. And through his honor and glory has given us his precious and wonderful promises. He'll never give up on you. He's made a promise to persevere with you. That you may share the divine nature and escape from the world's immorality that sinful craving produces. Now let me say a little bit what that means. What that essentially means is is that in the world we live in, It's how we see ourselves and evaluate ourselves about what is successful. We suffer a lot because we judge ourselves by the wrong standards. And we get pulled into this stream that pulls us down to a life of emptiness and purposelessness and meaninglessness. Here he's saying there's a whole other way. And because of what Jesus did, we're pulled into a whole different kind of life, a life of virtue and goodness. We set free from that. And he says, this is why then you must make every effort to add moral excellence to your faith. What is moral excellence? It's the virtues. Goodness. He's saying we must persevere. We must strive. Not a mediocre attempt, but everything we got to be like him. And he goes on and he adds moral excellence. Add to moral excellence knowledge. To knowledge self-control. And the self-control endurance. Now, this is interesting. This is a list of virtues again. And where does he put perseverance and endurance? Right in the middle. He's making a point. What's the point? To get there, we have to persevere. 
Now, let me just do, can I do a little Bible geek thing for you for a minute? Let me geek out a little bit. Okay. Where it says endurance, there's a Greek word there. The Greek word is hupomone. And that word can be translated in a variety of ways. It can be translated as patience, endurance, or perseverance. Now, it's interesting because all of those words are an appropriate way to translate this particular verse. What's interesting to me, though, is, just note for a minute, in some translations it says endurance, in some translations it says perseverance. Bible geek moment. Whenever you're reading the Bible, remember, you're reading someone else's interpretation of the Bible, okay? So be very humble when you talk to other people about the Bible, when you want to literally say, I literally interpret it. No, you're actually literally interpreting someone else's interpretation. It's so convenient that sometimes we will use the Bible as a weapon to literally apply it to other people. We have no idea what we're saying. It's the highest degree of spiritual arrogance and uh, lack of humility to claim that we know God's word for other people. It's all over the Bible. One place in the Bible it says Phoebe was a deacon. Another Bible translation, she was a servant. Well, since men translate it, they made Phoebe a servant and not a deacon, so women can't be included in the church, right? It's leaders. That just depends on how you interpret it. So we, okay, that's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> My point is, though, this word can be translated in a different way. And endurance and perseverance, it's something we all need. Endurance means holding up under pressure, whereas perseverance means pushing through. Why do we push through? Why do we hold up? He says, so add to your endurance godliness and the godliness of affection for others and to affection for others, love. It always ends in love. If all these are yours and they are growing in you, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unfruitful. What does that mean? Unfruitful means the old life. Fruitful means the new life. Compassion, kindness, goodness, all those kinds of things. So let me put it this way. Here's what he's asking you to do. Don't be a fireworks display. Be a lighthouse. You know what fireworks? Boom! Color! Light! Noise, finale, it's over. Darkness. Our call as the people of God is to be a lighthouse, shining brightly seven days a week, 24 hours a day, shining with goodness, light on the world we live in from the same place. Let me say something to our church this morning. You know, God has such a great plan for our church, such a dream for our church. And sometimes it's easy to get mired down in what's working or not working or this or that. This church has been a lighthouse for generations. You know what we have to do as a church? We have to trust, trust in God's plan. We have to believe and preach the gospel of love for all people and do it again every single week through our messages and through the way we live our lives. We have to commit ourselves to growth, the growth of ourselves and who we are and what we're called to be and to persevere, to not give up.
because the world needs a united church and a world that's divided and hurting and marked by pain and suffering. A church in this world, we're not the only one, preaching a message of love and inclusion and welcome and grace and being the virtues. I'm going to preach. So... So we focus on God's character, who God is. We, we embrace what he wants to do in us. We, we find some friends. We need friends to, to, to grow and develop. And we remember what it's all about. We remember our why. We, we give up because we, we forget why we're doing this. I end with these words from Hebrews that are so encouraging. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this. So then let us also run the race that's laid out in front of us. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us throw off any baggage and get rid of any sin that trips us up and fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix, church. Get our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Because he endured the cross, ignoring the shame for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him, and sat down at the right side of God's throne. So when you feel discouraged, when you feel like quitting, when you feel like giving up, here's what the author of Hebrews says. Think about the one who endured such opposition from sinners so that you won't be discouraged and you won't give up. That is the word of God.